Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for giving us your word. We pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to work in and through us, to bring us to ever greater faith, to ever greater love of Christ Jesus. So we thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, we studied the parable of the ten virgins, or the ten bridesmaids, and I sang a song. If you were here last week, do you remember the song, This Little Light of Mine? We sang that, right? We sang just the first verse, but there's another verse. Put it under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it shine. So we are going to sing again that. We sing it three times, and then let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Okay? So sing loudly. Here we go. Put it under a bushel, no, I'm going to let it shine. Put it under a bushel, no, I'm going to let it shine. Put it under a bushel, no, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Okay, so you got the song, right? In that little verse there, that song, it brings out the message that we are given a gift and that we are to let that gift shine, right? And that we are to faithfully use that gift out into the world. If you understand that one verse of the song, you also will understand the essence of the message today, to faithfully use the gifts God has given us in the world. Okay? So, our roadmap this morning... And if you want, there are sermon notes. If anybody wants sermon notes, just raise your hand and we'll make sure that you get some. A roadmap are gifts given, gifts used, faithfulness rewarded, and faithlessness punished. Okay, so let's start first. Gifts given from our reading from Matthew chapter 25. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them to his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his ability. So this parable is about, it continues on, what the kingdom of heaven is like. And in Jesus' parables, you often have the landowner, the master, uh, the wealthy man who goes away for a while and entrusts his property, his work, to the servants. Now, there's a little lesson that actually can fly over our heads pretty quickly, and it is about the kingdom of heaven itself. We often think that the kingdom of heaven is where the man goes to, right? The kingdom of heaven is out there, or if we would say up there in heaven somewhere, and then there's the earth, and well, is that the kingdom of heaven as well? But if you think about it, God is sovereign over all things, isn't he? So the lesson is the kingdom of heaven is all that there is. Up there, down here, everywhere. The kingdom of heaven is all that there is, and God is sovereign over all, and there is nothing that is not his. So he has given everything from the get-go. This has implications for you and me because it means that everything that we have is not ours. It's his to begin with. 
He created the universe. He created everything. He has created us. He has given us everything. That's a lesson that often gets overlooked. Now, in this particular parable, the rich man, right, he is very rich because he gives one servant five talents. Now, a talent was a weight or a measure of money, and it was the largest weight of money you could have. According to what I've read, it was worth anywhere from 16 to 20 years of the common laborer's wage. 16 to 20 years. So that the man gave five talents to one of his servants that was anywhere from 90 to 100 years worth of wages. That's a lot of money. But the thing is, this parable is not about the money. The parable is not about the money. The broader focus of this are the gifts, riches that God has entrusted to us. Now, I've read a number of sermons where people use this as a stewardship sermon and talk about how you're going to spend your money, and I suppose you could do that, but, uh, I, and that, that would be fine, but I think it still misses the point. God has created everything. He has given us his riches. He has entrusted them to us. I think Jesus uses the money here because he knows that we perk up when we talk about a large sum of money, right? And it it points to the greed in our heart. So it gets our attention, but it's not about the money. God has entrusted things to each one of us. And he has entrusted his riches each according to our ability. Each one of us have been given certain abilities. And each of our abilities are given, and this is important, each of our abilities are given for his service and the work of the kingdom of heaven. So let's take a look at this, right? God created everything. He created us. He has given us his riches, and he has given us his abilities, everything from God, gift of God. Now, let's talk about abilities. One of the problems with abilities is that we like to put them on a scale. Like certain people have great abilities, and then I got the leftovers. I kind of feel that way with singing too, by the way. Like I should have started off a little bit differently. I should have started, last week I did the first verse pretty well. Here it's like, okay, you know, but we do, we, we like elevate certain things and then think, I just got the leftovers. And so we elevate certain musicians or artists or scientists. And then we think, eh. But I got to tell you, look, if you have, if your plumbing in your house bursts, are you going to call the musician, the scientist, the great artist? You're not going to call them, are you? You want somebody with the ability for plumbing. That is the most important ability in the world in that particular context, right? We need that. It gives us and sustains us in that particular context. So there aren't any such things as leftovers here. Each of us are given abilities for his service, for the kingdom of God. 
And all abilities are important in the proper context. Listen to what Paul wrote. Romans chapter 12, starting verse 3. For, for, the, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. God has given us by his grace, gift, a measure of faith. He has given you his wealth. And the question is, what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with the wealth that he has given you? So let's talk about gifts used. Starting in verse 16. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, for the sake of the message today, I'm going to focus first just on the two that actually used the gifts, that put them into use, and then we'll deal with the third servant later on. So notice, notice that the servant, servants, the two, went to work right away. They didn't wait. They didn't get out their calendars and say, all right, when's the master going to come back? Uh, I bet we could just lollygag here until like three days beforehand. No, they didn't do that, did they? They immediately went to work using the gifts that they were given. And the lesson from this is this, is that faithful servants of the Lord live a life of service. Those two servants led a life of service immediately. But you know, in our day and age, that's not the thing that we think about in America, is it? I mean, in the American dream, the idea is to work hard enough so you can retire and lead a life of leisure, right? That's the American dream here, to lead a life of leisure. And think about the area that we live in, Fountain Hills, it's a retirement community. People come here to lead a life of leisure. They come to Rio Verde. They come to Scottsdale, right? They don't come here to work. They come here more than anything to retire so they don't have to do anything else. Now, let me ask you, have you ever heard the phrase, a Christian life of leisure? I mean, doesn't it even sound weird? It's like an oxymoron, isn't it? When you think about the people of great faith, they led a life of service, didn't they? They led a life of service. A Christian life is a life of service unto the Lord. Or if you want to even put a, a more of a point on there, a Christian life is a life of service unto Jesus. That's the life that we are to live. And let me ask you this. Is there a retirement age for being a Christian and living a life of servant service? I'm not aware of one. I've looked through the Bible. As a matter of fact, some of the people of great faith are some of the oldest ones in the Bible. 
I mean, it's not like, yeah, I'm going to follow Jesus until I hit 65, then I got to check out. I, I, I mean, I don't find that in Scripture either. Now, do our bodies change as we get older? Oh, yeah, we know that one, don't we? Our bodies change, and thus our abilities change too. And so we sometimes have to slow down. But Shirley, everybody remembers Shirley, right? Our beloved Shirley, she was in that office, even though she really couldn't do much anymore, she was there. And there was no way she was retiring from ministry even when she wasn't here. She always talked about faith. She always talked about people going to church. That's Shirley, right? Throughout the very, very end. And so you and I, no matter what age we're at, no matter our physical abilities, we all have gifts. We all have abilities that God has given us in the first place to use. So let's continue on in Romans. Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 4. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having the gifts having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts, in his exhortation. The one who contributes, in generosity. The one who leads, with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy, with cheerfulness. Now, let me ask you, as you heard those words... Did you hear anything that said this only pertains to the professional ministry? I didn't hear those words because a lot of people think that only these types of gifts are for the pastor or somebody who's gone to seminary or somebody who is, you, know, you get the idea, right? Paul isn't saying that at all. He's saying that all of these gifts are given according to the grace that God gives and thus we are to use those particular gifts. And they're all important to the body as a whole. So there's one, exhortation. That's a word we don't use too much nowadays, right? Exhortation. What does exhortation mean? Well, it means to encourage, to have people press on. Sometimes to exhort is also to challenge people. Exhortation, encouragement. Now, some, everybody can encourage, right? But some people are really given the gift of encouragement. There's a movie that I wanted to show, but uh, we got waylaid by COVID. Facing the Giants. Who has seen Facing the Giants? Oh, we got to show that. It's a good movie. Inspiring movie. It's about a high school and the football team and the coach. And the team is already defeated, you know, before they begin their games, they're already defeated. And so the coach takes aside the strongest player and he says, I want you to do a death crawl. And what the death crawl is, you get down on your, on your feet and then on your hands, and you have to walk like that. And doing that for 50 yards, 
that's a really strain on the arms. But the coach says, no, I want you to carry someone on your back besides. So that's the picture that you have there of him carrying somebody on his back. And then the coach blindfolds him besides. And he says, why? Because coach says, I don't want you to quit. I don't want you to see somewhere where you've gone and then quit because you think that's far enough. And so the guy gets down and he crawls. And by the time he's at 30 yards, his arms are pretty darn tired. But the coach is encouraging him and says, come on, come on, you can do it. You can do it. Give your best. You've got more. You've got more. And the guy continues to crawl on. And finally, the coach is on the ground saying, you can do it. You can do it. Give your best. Give your best. Give your best. Ten more yards. Ten more yards. Five more yards. Five more yards. Ten more feet. Ten more feet. Five more feet. And finally, this guy, his arms are so tired, he just collapses and says, I can't do it anymore. And the coach says, take off your blindfold. And he takes it off. And he says, look where you are. You're in the end zone. You went 100 yards with a man on your back. And then he says to him, God has gifted you with the ability of leadership. Don't waste it. Give him your very best. God has gifted each one of us, and we are not to waste it. We are to give our very best. Encouragement seems like something. Exhortation seems like this thing, but we need people to encourage one another, especially during this time. This is a difficult time. I don't know about you, but it's a difficult time for a lot of people. And so we need people to encourage one another to be able to take that one more step in faith when you don't feel like it, to be able to stand up, to be able to say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation for all who believe. We need that encouragement. But we also need the people who are not the loud and boisterous ones. We need the people who are also quiet. The people who will come alongside one another and give comfort and care to those in need of giving the gift of listening to someone deeply because sometimes that's what people need just to be listened to. We all need that. And these are all gifts that God has given you and he has entrusted you with these gifts. Now, this doesn't mean you necessarily have to take on a new project, although it could mean that you take on something different because you say, I want to work in the service of the Lord and the kingdom of God. It could be, though, that you understand that your service is within your family, of being able to be the light, the love of Christ Jesus to your spouse, to your children, who might not be believers. That that is your service. To raise up your children or your grandchildren in the faith, that's faithful service unto the Lord. To be the light, the love of Christ Jesus in your vocation, wherever that may be. And that's what we are to do. 
be the light and life of Christ Jesus within your vocation. So what abilities have you been given? What opportunities are before you? Are you praying for those opportunities to be faithful in the work set before you? So let's talk about faithfulness rewarded. Verse 19. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing the five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I've made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. See, Jesus makes it really clear that at one point he will come back and there will be a reckoning a settling for those who have been faithful in the work that has been given to them. There is a great reward. Now the master comes back. The servants are there before him, but notice, I want you to notice that there's no fear or dread before the master. They simply present what was given and the reward for the one who had, five, had doubled the five and the one who doubled the two, did you notice that the reward is exactly the same? It's not that the five who doubled it and made it to 10, which is now like 200 years worth of labor wages. It's not like that guy got more praise. Oh, look how much more you did. And then this guy who did two to four said, well, you did pretty well too. No, the praise is exactly the same. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. The lesson is this. The reward isn't for how much. The reward is for being faithful. For being faithful in the work that you have been given. Now, let's be clear. We need to draw a very clear line on here. The work you do in and of itself does not save you. There's only one person who did any work that will ever save you, and that is Jesus. His work and his work alone saves you. And the only thing you can do with his work is receive it by faith. And because you have received his work by faith, there's nothing else to do for your salvation. But because you have received his work by faith, there's a lot of work to do. How's that for a paradox? There's no work and there's a lot of work to do in his service. Because it is this, your work shows that you have a living faith in him who does save you. James wrote this, faith without works is dead. So that you are doing the works shows that you actually have a living faith in Christ Jesus, him who did save you. 
And again, it's not how much. Look, the master said, you've been faithful over a little. 200 years worth of wages is a little? Well, in God's perspective, it's nothing. Absolutely nothing. The focus here is being faithful to what you have been given. And the reward is so great here. See, when I get to heaven, I just want to hear this. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's it. Just hear that. To know that as much as I have failed, and I fail continually, I do. Every day I fail. There's a song, it ain't no crime to be stupid, but I still get busted every day. I feel like I live that song many times. So I fail in my faith all the time. But God sometimes will gently pick me up. Sometimes he picks me up by the scruff of my neck. And there's repentance and forgiveness. And then he says, there's work to do. Continue on. Continue on, continuing on. And to be faithful as well as I can be, not through my own power, but through the power of the Holy Spirit can I only be faithful in the work that I do. So I have the work before me. I am as faithful through a life of repentance and forgiveness. I carry on. And to hear those words, well done and good, good and faithful servant, then I know if I hear those words, the others will follow. Enter into the joy of your master. Aren't those sweet words? Enter into the joy of your master. Because ultimately, the work that we do, the work that we do is one of joy. Now, work can be hard. There's no question about it. Service can be hard. And sometimes it's really difficult. And sometimes it is really exciting. And sometimes it's boring and everything in between, right? But the prize set before us is the joy of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the work that we have is not to be burdensome, but it is to be a joy Gospel of John, chapter 15. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. We have a foretaste of that joy today, right? Uh, This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad. We say that every week. We have a foretaste of that. But the fullness of the joy, uh, a flowing fountain of joy, an ever-living Breathing water of joy is what comes from the Lord, and it refreshes us in a way that nothing else ever will. This is good news, right, for those who are faithful in the work before them. But there's also bad news here, because faithful, faithlessness is punished. Verse 24, he who also received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. 
Here you have what is yours. Now, I in no way, shape, or form take this servant's testimony about the Lord to be anything other than an excuse for not doing what he was supposed to do. It's the same thing like Adam. When Adam was in the garden, he said, God, you gave me this woman. It's your fault. It's kind of like that. So this man lays out excuse after excuse after excuse. But when Jesus comes, the second coming, there is no excuse before him. None whatsoever. And that that there will be a judgment. And the judgment is sure and swift on the servant. He says, you wicked and slothful servant. You see, when we say faith without works is dead, it sounds like, eh, that's it's not so bad. Okay, I get it. But no, it's much worse than that. The lack of faith, the lack of work, work the lack of uh, being productive unto the Lord in his service is wicked. You could say perhaps a lazy faith with no works shows the wickedness of the person. It's a harsh way to say it, but I'm trying to help you understand the harshness of what Jesus, the master, will say to those with judgment. So he actually gives the words right back in condemnation to that servant. He says, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with bankers. At my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. He gives his own words, his own excuses right back to him. And then the judgment is final and complete. So going down here, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, I put this slide up here in black and white for a very specific reason, because the judgment is black and white. There's not a second chance. There's no wiggle room here. Rather than entering into the joy of the Lord, the faithless shall be cast into the outer darkness. Now, there's kind of a rule unspoken rule in many sermons that you want to leave with the uplifting message, right? But in the parables that Jesus is telling in Matthew chapter 25, each ends with a severe warning. So we don't want to whitewash that. We don't want to soften that message at all. That there is his coming and that there will be a judgment and it will be sure and swift and it will be black and white, and there will be no excuse whatsoever. So when we take a look at the parables in Matthew chapter 25, for some people, it really should put the fear of the Lord in you. But for other people, you can find comfort. Because also in these parables, they should have us love, long for his coming and to labor faithfully until he does come. One or the other. So, we have heard the word. We've explored the word. 
It's time now for you to apply the word to grow in Jesus. Some questions for you today. How are you using your abilities in his service? Question for you. What opportunities, the talents, the opportunities, has the Lord placed in front of you? Are you praying for any opportunities, by the way? What excuses do you make in not using the gifts that God has placed before you? Again, this is not a burden upon you, but this is for you to take a look at your life of service for Christ Jesus. And there are some things that maybe you should stop doing, maybe you should start doing, or maybe just understand what you are doing. But I also want to ask this. I want to ask it for our church here. Because I think our church needs to have this conversation. What are the abilities of Joy Church? What has the Lord placed before us? And how can we as a body here, well done, good and faithful servant? Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for such great gifts. Please, through the power of the Holy Spirit, continue to work in and through us, bringing us to ever greater faith, trust, and service unto Christ Jesus. Amen.